to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He points himself out, and I'm not going to go back and, listen, go back to the last couple messages that I've done if you want to understand what verse 1 is talking about, you know, going back into verses 1 through 3 and then, you know, looking at the doctrine and now what we're getting into, the practicality of the Christian faith. Uh, Paul is talking in the first three um, chapters of Ephesians is, he's speaking of doctrine who you used to be, who we were, and and who we are today because of Christ, because of his rich in mercy, you know, because of God rich in mercy and his love for us that he gave his son. And 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 the doctrine that is so filled in verse in chapters one through three of Ephesians, but then we move into chapter four, and Paul begins to embark on, okay, now here's a doctrine. That was the doctrine, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I'm begging you. Okay? And so what he does is he moves into chapter four and he says, Okay, now now we understand the the doctrine and the doctrine are like the pillars of of the faith. These are the things that we can begin to build upon. These are the foundational stones that we can now build upon our practical life. How is it that we now live out this life that we have been afforded by Christ? And and so what he does is in chapter 1 or chapter 4 verse 1 he says, "I therefore we know all that. I therefore a prisoner, the prisoner of the Lord. And and I don't know if that catches your attention there, but he calls himself a prisoner. Why is he a prisoner? Paul is a prisoner because, and he's going to get into it here in this chapter, because he states that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That Jesus Christ... God in human flesh died on a cross for all mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. And that ruffled some feathers. And so he was put in prison because how preposterous, I mean, think about it. If you know the story, we just came through Christmas, you know the story of the baby born of a virgin and you know what Easter is all about, how Jesus is going to die on a cross and raise again three days later. I don't mean to minimalize that or trivialize that because it is the greatest thing that's ever happened upon the face of this earth. I don't mean to trivialize it, but we do understand those things. But here's the thing. If you were to be back in this day prior to Christ coming on the scene or even in the day that Christ was on the scene and you're a Jew, you have been taught your whole life that we are the chosen ones. We are the chosen generation. We are the ones that God loves and God hates everybody else. God loves us and we are the chosen people and taken to the wrong extreme, that's the conclusion that they would come to is that God hates everyone else. Nothing could be further from the truth. God loves all mankind. It's the reason why he sent his son. But the thing is, is that when God chose Israel, he chose Israel not because they were bigger or greater or more smart or more attractive or more anything than any other people. In fact, they were a very small people. They were a very small group of people that God chose 
in order to place his hand and his blessings upon, in order to show the world that even though you might be small, even though you might not be, you know, something that is super attractive, here's the thing. By my hand being upon this tiny nation of of Israel, what we can do through that, by my power working in, by my guidance, by my leading this nation, this is what, this is what can happen to any nation who, who bows their heart to Christ. You know, I've used this illustration many times before, and I don't want to belabor this point, but I would be remiss if I don't at least bring this up. The Jews are much like Christians. Now, please do not hear me say that the Jews are the replace, this is not replacement theology. Okay, the Jews have a specific purpose. God has a specific purpose for the Jews. God has a specific purpose for us as Christians. But here's the thing. When God placed his hand upon the Jews, it was for the purpose of showing the rest of the world that you don't have to be big. You don't have to be wonderful. You don't have to be so attractive in this world. You can just be you and God can come upon you. You bow your heart to him. And this is what the benefit of having God be your leader, having God be your guide. This is what can happen. And so as God's placing his blessings upon Israel, the idea is, is that they would be the light to the world, they would be the salt to the earth, that they would be the attractive nation that all the nations of the world would look at tiny little Israel and say, how is it that you're so blessed? And Israel would then hopefully not say, well, because we're awesome, or, well, we're better than you. We're more wonderful than you. Now, hopefully that's not what it is. What the heart was behind it is, Oh, well, it's not us. Don't look at it us as if we're anything. It's the God we serve. It's God. And it's not just for us. It's for you if you want it also. That's the thing that so many times we look back in the Old Testament and we lose this sight. We think that that the old and the new are so separate that God was the angry God back in the Old Testament. He was the good guide. You know, good God. He was the God of judgment in the Old Testament. He's the God of grace in the new. And I, 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 God is the same today, yesterday, today, and even forever. He doesn't change. He has the same heart. He has the same desire. He has the same love for mankind. And so here's the thing. The idea is that as he places his hand and his blessings and his, his leading and his guidance upon the nation of Israel, that Israel would then go and say, hey, it can happen to you too. God didn't hate all the other nations of the world. He wanted the rest of the world to look upon how even Israel, God would bless. And the other nations of the world would go, that's amazing. That's amazing. Tell me a little bit more about your God. Tell me more about that. It's kind of the evangelistic mindset there. Here's the thing. It's the same kind of a thing for us, right, as Christians. We can look at the Jews and we can get down on the Jews and go, man, you blew it. Jesus came to you and you guys blew it. You hung him on a, you strung him up on a cross. You were so caught up in your own traditions. You were so caught up in your own, in your own mindset and all the teachings of your, your forefathers that, that began to get off base of what the true message of God is. And you continued to build upon that, that 
that error to the point where it might have just been a little bit, you know, off, off kilter or off center. But by the time you reach a thousand years down the road, it's way off center. And, and the point is, is that you've, you've trusted in the traditions of your fathers. And that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees, didn't he? He says, you teach as doctrines the traditions of men. What he means by that is he's saying, here's the thing, you, you Pharisees, you're taking erroneous tradition. You're not taking scripture. You're taking interpretation and the building upon it and the building upon that and a building upon that to a point where it is, it looks nothing like what the word really is. And that's what you're going to teach as the way to God. When in all actuality, my word doesn't match with this. And so Jesus said to you Pharisees, to the Pharisees, he said, you're teaching as if those traditions that you've been taught, not the Bible, not the Old Testament, not the writings of, of, of Moses, not the, not the Torah, not the law, not the prophets, not the, not the Psalms. You're not teaching those things. You're teaching, you're teaching an abortion of that. And by doing that, you're coming to the wrong conclusions and you're becoming arrogant and prideful in your own position with God. When in all actuality, you're making men, these, these are Jesus' words, you make men twice as much a son of hell as you yourself. Jesus said some pretty tough things. But that we do not misunderstand that the same thing can happen to us. We're Christians. We can become arrogant in and of our own way. We can sit there and we can think, hey, I'm a Christian. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And because I'm found, because I'm, because I'm saved, I don't, I don't really have any urgency anymore. And we can begin to look down our nose at, at the world around us and we can, we can begin to look at people who were stuck in their sin and we can, we can begin to go, oh, Look at that. Oh, man. Man, do they have a horrible future in front of them. Hey, guess what? When you die, you're going to the smoking room. <laughs> going to the non-smoking room, you know. And, and, and you can begin to look down your... You can become arrogant and prideful in your own faith when in all actuality, it's never been the intent of Christ. It wasn't the intent of God there with the Israel, and it's not the intent of, of God with us. He said, go into all the world, the world that's not saved, and, and preach the gospel, preach the good news. Tell them about me. Tell them about my gift. Tell them about the wonderful news that they can be saved also, just like you. Don't become arrogant. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 11, didn't he? He said, listen, if God grafted you in, he can ungraft you. Quit being arrogant. Don't be arrogant in your faith. Know this, we have a blessing. And it's in that that, that hopefully you and I 
we can understand that our faith isn't owed to us. It's offered to us. And praise the Lord that God gave us the smarts and the willingness to open up our hearts and say, I, I want what you have. But know this. As I, as I, as I shared today, I think in the prayer, just that you breathe today is proof positive that God's not done with the world yet. And He's not done with you. He's not done with me. And he wants to use us to still reach into this world because he's not done saving people. I said at the New Year's Eve thing, you have friends that are going to be some of your best friends that you've ever had in your own life, that in your, in your whole life, Christian friends that are going to be a part of this congregation. They're just not here yet because we haven't re- reached them yet. But they're going to become a part of this fellowship. And, and, and you're going to go, how did this fellowship survive without those guys? You know? And it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blessing. But that will never happen if we become arrogant in our faith. If we become prideful in our faith. If we think that our faith is owed to us, is not owed to us. We should be humble and recognize, hey, here's the thing. The gospel is open to everyone. And you're going to get pushback. You're going to get pushback. Paul got pushback. He's in prison because of it. He's in prison because he said, wait a minute, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I excelled above them all. I, I, I was, I was one of the most learned. I, I put Christians to death. You remember it was Stephen that he acquiesced to, to having him being stoned to death. Not in the way that we would consider stoned today. But here's the thing. Paul put people to death. He went into homes. He, he, he secured letters from church leaders, or not church leaders, but synagogue leaders, in order to go in to homes to break in and say, hey, you guys are preaching Christ. You guys are having a home Bible study. You're out of here. Some of them he'd have, he'd have killed. Some of them he'd take off and put into chains and take them back into prison because they were preaching Christ. And so Paul's saying, hey, 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 listen. I was wrong. It freaked out the church, didn't it? It freaked out Ananias, you remember? God came to Ananias in a dream and he says, Ananias, listen. Hey, I want you to go... Um, I want you to go to Damascus to a street called Straight. And in this house down there, there's a guy in there. His name is Saul, okay? And and I have touched his heart. And I have a lot of things that I'm going to do in his life. But I'm going to go and send you to him. I know you're a believer. I know you love me so much. And I know you'll do what it is that I'm asking you to do. I want you to go into that home. And I want you to 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 pray over Saul that he would receive his sight. And Ananias, you know the story, right? Ananias goes, uh, uh, just one real quick question, Lord. Now I'm going to put it in kind of my way. Um, is it Saul? <laughs> that Saul kind of kind of scared me a little bit, Lord. Is this the same Saul of Tarsus that's been going around and killing people because of the faith? Mm, yeah. Be on your way, Ananias. One, one more, one more quick question, Lord. Um, maybe, 
Maybe he's fooling everybody. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's trying to find out where the Christians are so he can kill even more. I mean, have you really thought about that, God? Ananias, here's what I want you to do. I want you, I want you to go and I want you to pray. Oh, oh, okay. Hey, I give Ananias a lot of credit. I don't know, you know, Ananias could have been a Jonah. Jonah going to Nineveh and preach. Ananias could have been just like Jonah and said, yeah, I'm not going to see him. He's killed my brothers. He doesn't deserve to be saved. He doesn't deserve to receive his sight. Good. I'm glad he's blind. Be blind for the rest of his life. But that's not God. God took somebody who was so antagonistic, so anti-Christ, and he saved him. And he became one of the greatest evangelists of all time, Paul. Saul became Paul. But somebody had to be obedient. Ananias was obedient. He went and he talked to Paul. Paul understood for the very first time. This blows my mind. It filled all the gaps in when I began to consider Christ. When I looked at Christ, when I understood Christ, it filled all the gaps in. When Isaiah 53 says that he was the suffering servant, he was, he had no former comeliness that we would behold him. All we like sheep have gone astray and God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I was thinking that that was Israel, that God was laying on Israel, but it just didn't work. It pleased God to bruise him. Ah, listen, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Isaiah 53 never works for a Jew. And Paul, or Saul, he sees that and goes, of course, it makes perfect sense if it's the Christ, if it's Jesus. God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And, and, and we can have salvation in him. Amazing. It's so simple now that I understand who Christ is. Every one of my brothers need to hear this. And so he goes and he tries to tell all of his buddies. And they're angry that Paul is talking about Jesus in a different light than he did just a few months earlier. That Jesus is the way of salvation. Mind you, if you start walking for Christ today, you're going to get kicked back. You're going to get kicked back from, from family. You're going to get kicked back from friends and coworkers, schoolmates. You're going to get kicked back. It's okay. It's going to happen. Jesus said, hey, listen. Don't worry that they hate you. They hated me before they hated you. Now, we don't go out there to try to find people to hate us. The heart is, is to go out and show them the risen Christ. Paul did that. And the kickback that he got is he got thrown in prison. He got thrown into jail. And so Paul, look at this term that he uses, I, Paul, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. Think about that for a second. I'm in prison because of Jesus. <laughs> Is he casting blame on Jesus? Is he going, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, of the Lord? No, he's going, hey, I'm a prisoner and glad of it. I'm a prisoner because of my relationship with Christ. I'll have it no other way. I have it no other way. If my faith causes me to lose a friend, then I'll lose a friend. 
If your faith causes you to lose, uh, you know, uh, a, a relationship, well then so be it. I will say that many relationships that are severed because of Christ, I have seen far, far more than, than I could count that those relationships that were severed because of Christ were mended somewhere down the road with that person who severed their relationship with that individual who was a Christian coming to know Christ for them themselves for the first time. And what a great reunion that is. So it might cost you a relationship. But know this. It, it, it comes down to, it comes down to, do, do I, do I have a relationship with Christ? Am I willing, am I willing to cast it all at His feet and say, you know what, Lord, I'm trusting you with my relationship. I'm trusting you with my jobs. I'm trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you with, with everything that I have in life that I hold near and dear. And so as you do that, you're gonna lose a few things. Christianity isn't easy, regardless of what anybody will tell you on TV. Or maybe, you know, somebody might be witnessing to you and, oh man, become a Christian, it's gonna be easy. It's nothing, it's not easy. Christianity isn't for wimps. <laughs> but it, it again, it is for wimps. It's for everyone. It's just gonna to be tough. It's tough at times. But in your tough times, Jesus is tougher still. He's greater still. And, and so Paul says, listen, I'm in prison because of the Lord. He's not, he is saying that in a negative way. He's saying that in a positive way. But then Paul, know this, Paul has the, he has the clout. He has even the authority at this time. If you want to consider authority, he has the ability to say, hey, I'm commanding you guys to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you need to do this. But he, that's not what he says. He says, I, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I've just told you the doctrine. I've told you what, what God has done for us, who we used to be, who we are today because of Him and because of His great mercy. Now I'm just, I'm now gonna paint out for us in the next three chapters the practical aspect of that. How does this practically live out in our life? And I, Paul, I'm in jail. It's definitely not, you're not going to see that on one of those infomercials, right? How well would that sell? Hey, I'm in prison. My name's Paul. Become a Christian and you might go to jail too. I never knew what life was until I was thrown in this rat-infested prison. You know, it just wouldn't work. But Paul... He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm in jail because of my relationship with Christ. Because I'm telling people the freedom that they can have and they just won't hear it. They'd rather stay in their sin. They'd rather stay with the traditions. They'd rather stay with what everybody else thinks. Gang, that's something that we've got to be careful of. Especially in this day of social media. Especially in this day of, of you know, the ability to cast news everywhere. We got to be careful not to be tainted by what someone says. By what the populace says. Hey, we all want to go this way. Be careful. 
You remember what my, I've said it before, my good friend Bob Davis in uh, Idaho, what he said, he was actually pastoring in Sierra Vista, Nevada, at the, or Sierra Vista, Arizona at the time, and he had an old fella that was a preacher that had been just a, an awesome, awesome preacher come and speak at his church. And uh, he uh, he was up there and he, he actually had an episode and they actually had to take him to the hospital during his message. And Bob was with him in the, on the way to the hospital and Bob was sitting down and this guy didn't know if this was his last moments, this if this was his last words that he was going to speak, but Bob was there and so I'm going to share. He said, Bob, says yes. He said, when the world goes right, you go left. Bob goes, okay, right. World goes right. I go left. Right it. Got it. Got it. Got any more words? And he says, yes, one more. He goes, what? He says, Bob, when the church goes left, you go right. Bob says, are you passing right now? I mean, are you, are you sure? You sure about that? And you know what? The point was, you look at the church today, and, and there's a lot of great things that has happened in the church today. Awesome things that are happening in the church today. There's a lot of very evil that has happened in the church today too. That passes off as the church, but is nothing closely resembling the church that Christ desires. And so we got to be careful. Just because a church says, or just because they're popular, just because maybe the music is awesome. Listen, what, what are they, what's their doctrine? What is, what is they teaching? What's going on? Now Paul's going to get into that here. He says, listen, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm, I'm gladly in prison because of Christ. And, and though I am a leader in the church today, I'm an apostle, not from men, but from God. He handpicked me. He says, I'm, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging you. That's what beseeching is saying. He's, I'm encouraging you or I'm begging you. I'm begging you to have a walk with, worthy of the calling with which you were called. Anybody have a King James Version Bible in here that they're using right now? King James Version? Yes, Lalani. What does uh, verse 1 say? <laughs> I was going to say, that didn't sound like, that didn't sound like old King James right there, yeah. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. What was that word for calling? That you have a walk worthy of the? Worthy of the vocation. Vocation. What's a vocation? It's a vocation. Huh? Trade. Job, right? It's our job! It's our job! It's your job. It's my job to have a walk worthy of the calling. Paul's not saying, I'm commanding you to do it. He's saying, I'm begging you to do it. I have the authority to say, you better do it, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, listen, I'm in prison. Count the cost. Is Christ worth it? I'm begging you and I'm telling you, yes, it's worth it. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. It's worth it. And I'm begging you to have a walk worthy of the job that you've been called to. The vocation, this is, this is what you've been called to. So many people think that, well, a pastor, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be that guy. 
that is a Christian all the time. He's the guy that's supposed to go and he's supposed to to minister to everybody. He's the guy that's supposed to, you know, uh, do all these things. He's the one that's supposed to go out and evangelize. He's the one that's supposed to go and visit. He's the one that's supposed to do all of these things because that's his job. Well, Paul's saying, no, no, no. We all have that job. That's all of our jobs. Paul's going to get to that here in just a second. It's not about being a pastor. I, I love being a pastor. But just because I'm a pastor doesn't exempt anybody who's not a pastor from the calling or the vocation or the job that God has called you to. We've all been called. Jesus did not say, go into the world, pastors, and preach the good news. He said it to all of us. We're none of us are exempt. I'm not exempt even as a pastor. And you go, well, that's obvious. Well, let it be obvious to you that God's calling you also. God's calling all of us. It's our job to have a walk worthy of the calling with which or the vocation that God has called us to. He says, so, so here it is. And I'm going to go through here fairly quickly because I'm running out of time. But he says, and here's what it will look like. Okay, here's, here's, here's what your life will look like in all practicality, okay? It's with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering and bearing with one another in love. Does that sound like arrogance? Does that sound like pride? Does that sound like looking down my nose at somebody who's not saved and puffing myself up because I am? No, that, that has, that, that is not consistent with that. What this is consistent with is a meek and a humble heart that recognizes like the man on the street corner that Jesus said, here's a guy over there, you know, praying. He's praying and praying, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. And he's saying it out loud where everybody can hear. And Jesus then says, hey, look at this other guy over here. And this other guy is sitting here going, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. Which one is justified? This guy over here who has a true attitude of his heart that says, God, I am a sinner. I, I, you owe me nothing. I am, I am blown away that you would even consider me as your child. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. Uh, this guy, oh, I'm, thank you that I'm not like these sinners here. That's arrogance. That's pride. There is no business. There's no room in the family of God for arrogance or pride. In fact, it's one of the seven things that God hates is pride, a proud look. I'm a Christian. You're going to hell. (laughs) Enjoy it now, buddy. That's not how we are. That's not how we are. That's not how we've been raised by Christ. That's not who he was. And so Paul, he says, listen, in all practicality, this is what it looks like when you are living your life as Christ would have you to live. It's going to be lived with lowliness and gentleness. It's going to be lived with long-suffering. Long-suffering is patience. Bearing with one another. That word bearing means putting up with. 
you know those people you've had to put up with. He's saying bearing with one another and in love. And you still love them. Not, wow. You love them. You bear with them. You put up with them. You help them. He then says, and another thing, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is nothing in here that shows arrogance. There is nothing in here that shows negativity. There's nothing in here that shows beating people down because you are better than them. There's none of that. Here's what it is. He's saying, I want you to be gentle. I want you to be loving. I want you to be willing to to go the extra mile to touch people. I'm begging you. I know that, hey, it might put you right where I'm at in prison, but you know what? It's better for you to be in prison and do these things than for you to be outside of prison and not do any of these things. I remember it was Don McClure that said when he, he had a stroke, he had a stroke. He was on the treadmill one day and his eyes started, he felt real tired and he got tired and he ended up stopping on the treadmill and he goes downstairs and his wife goes, honey, your, your eyes are all super red. They're all bloodshot red. And to make a long story short, he was, he had a stroke and, and he was bleeding into his eyes and his wife took him to the hospital or the doctor and the doctor came back in and said, uh, you know, Here's the thing, uh, you had a stroke and uh, you're going blind. We just don't know how far you're going to go blind. This is going to run its action and wherever it goes and wherever it stops, that's where you're going to be for probably the rest of your life. You're never going to be able to drive again, you know, unless something radical happens, you know, a miracle happens. But he ends up going home and telling his wife and his wife goes back down to the doctor and tells him, no, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do all this stuff for him. He's going to get his eyesight back and all this kind of stuff. And, and he, she starts arguing with the doctor why he's not going to ever go, why he's not going to go blind. And the doctor's going, lady, listen, here's the thing. This is what it is. I'm a doctor. This is what I've seen. This is what my expertise is. He's going blind. You might feed him really great food, but he's still going blind. And while his wife, Don's wife, was sitting there telling the doctor how to do his job, he said, he said he was off over sitting on the table over by himself. And he said, I felt like the Lord was just sitting here going, Don, here's the door here, right here. And his hand was on that door. And above the door it said, never again. And he took that as a never again. I'm never going to be able to see clearly again. And Jesus' hand was on that door and he says, I felt like the Lord was going, hey, you want to go with me? And and it was as if the Lord was asking me, hey, do you want to go down this road with me? It's going to be a difficult road, but that's the road I'm going to be on. If you want to be with me, that's the road I'm going to be on. And Don purposed in his heart, Lord, whatever road you want me to be on, if it means that I go blind, I go blind. Eyesight is good. I like it. But life is fleeting. And here's the thing. I'd rather be on a difficult road with you than on an easier road without you. And the point is, that's what Paul's trying to say. It might cost you things. But I'm begging you. I'm not commanding you. I'm just begging you. There's no better life to live. Even though it might cost, cost a lot. 
He then goes on and he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, before I go on, can, can I just say this? Listen, there's people that will like to use this thing and use this area of Scripture and go, well, there's one body, one spirit. Okay, yeah, you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one baptism. There's no such thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit because it only says there's only one baptism here. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? Look at the context of what Paul's talking about. He's saying there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. There's one Lord for both of us. There's one God for both of us. There's one body. There isn't the Jewish body and the Christian body. We're all one. There's one body and one spirit. There's not a Holy Spirit for the Jews and there's not a Holy Spirit for the Gentiles. There's one Holy Spirit for everyone. There's only one. There's only one. Just as you were called in the hope of your calling, one Lord. Yeah, there's only one faith. If you're a Jew, you can't be saved apart from Christ. If you're a, if you're a Gentile, there is no hope for you either apart from Christ. There is only one Christ. There's only one faith. One baptism. There is only one baptism. There's not a separate baptism that the Jews have to go through as a separate baptism for the Gentiles have to go through in order to be right with God. No, none of those things. There's only one. And the point is, is he's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together. He's saying there's one in Christ. It's the reason I'm in prison. I'm in prison because I've preached this. That's what he's in prison for. The Jews didn't like it and they said, lock him up. But to each one of us, verse 7, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And, and so others might look at this and go, well, God gave more grace to you than he did to me. Now, that's not what this is saying. He's saying that each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace that was given to me was the grace that was given to anyone who's called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. The same grace that saves me is the same grace that saves you. And it doesn't come from me. The measure comes from Christ. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that gets the kudos. He's the one that gets the the, the, the praise for our salvation. I didn't do anything. I just said yes. That's all. He And he even prompted me to do it. I love it. There's nothing that I can stand in glory in heaven and go, I did it my way. There's no Frank Sinatra mindset in heaven. I did it my way. No, you didn't. You didn't do it your way. There's nobody going to be in heaven and say, I did it my way. If you've been a part of our, of our, uh, new believer, uh, you know, our study that we've done here over the years, you know, one of the, first lessons that we talk in there in, you know, how to be sure I'm a Christian. It, it, one of the things that, that you, we have in there that says, listen, are you in heaven? You know, some nobody's going to be in heaven and go, hey, I'm here because I bought a lot. I, I, I totally outfitted a church with stained glass. I did that. I did it. I paid for all of it. So God had to let me in. You can't purchase your way. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't do your do good into heaven. But I've only done nice things. I've been a philanthropist. I've given to so many causes. I've, I have adopted a lot of those puppies. 
on the in the arms of the angels. La, la, la. Don't you cry when you see those dogs? Yeah. Hey, I look at those dogs and I go, oh, those poor things. And you know, they might not even be, they might just, have you ever seen your dog? He could be happy, but he's just looking. And if you took a picture, you'd think, oh, he's so sad. But but he's not. He's like, hey, I'm looking at that duck over there. I'm about to go and chase it. <laughs> but... You put a little song, emotional song behind it, and that's sad. That's sad. I hate those commercials. <laughs> Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, man, I've got to, I'm out of time. I've got to hurry. Uh, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, who's he? It's Jesus. Therefore, he says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Uh, I believe that this is speaking of Christ preaching to the souls that were in prison. What do you mean by prison? Paul? Prison? You're talking to that? No, 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 no. Those, when I say the souls in prison, I, I, I'm talking about the souls that died looking forward to Christ. Okay? There, there are people that, that died before Christ came on the scene. They were looking forward to the promise of this coming Messiah. And they desired to see the coming Messiah. You remember Simeon, when he saw the baby, Jesus, he prophesied. I can't believe it. I've lived old enough to where I actually have seen the promised one. Simeon, Simeon he, I can die. I can die now. I've seen the Messiah. He's a baby. He's going to grow up to be a Messiah, but I, I got to see him. Can you imagine? And, and so, so here's the thing. There were those that died apart from the promise. They had not yet received the promise. And so they were looking forward to the promise. You and I, what we do is we look backwards at the promise. Christ came. He lived. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. That happened in the past. He lives presently right now, but we look back at that event. Okay? When we die today, Paul talks about it, doesn't he? He says, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But before Christ came, when you were absent from the body, you weren't present with the Lord. You were present with Abraham's bosom. You were in Abraham's bosom. You were in, you were with Abraham. You were finding comfort in Abraham. And I don't have time to get into it because I'm totally out of time, but there is, I am a firm believer and I am a, I'm convinced. Till somebody convinces me otherwise, I believe the Bible says that in the center of this earth, there is a place called Hades. You've heard the people, you've heard the people talk about Hades and, and, and you've heard the phrase, man, it is hot as Hades in here. But, but you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a misnomer because Hades is not altogether hot. There's a part of it that's hot. There's half of it that's hot. But there's another half of Hades that was called Abraham's bosom. Or paradise. And there was a chasm or a valley that separated the two. Jesus talks about it in the book of Mark. Talks about how a rich man and Lazarus, rich man died, Lazarus died. 
Rich man, he went to this place called the tor- place of torments, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, being in torments, called over, Father Abraham. Abraham was there. Abraham, please send Lazarus over to dip his finger in the water and touch my tongue, for my soul is in torments here. And Abraham says, listen, it can't happen. You made your choices. That's where you are. This is where Lazarus is. Even if he wanted to come over and touch your tongue with some water, he couldn't do it because there's this great chasm that is separates the two. That chasm was in the center of the earth, I believe. Separating the place of torments from Abraham's bosom or paradise. And so he says, well, then send somebody back and tell my brothers they don't want to come here. There's a lot of evangelists in, in hell right now. There's a lot of evangelists in the, in Hades or in, in the place of torments. They don't want to see their family come and, and to where they are. They don't want to see that happen. These people that are antagonistic against Christ are going to be the greatest evangelists when they're gone. My very first funeral I ever did in my life was for a woman by the name of Rosa. I'm not going to tell you her last name, but her, her name was Rosa. And I didn't even know her. Her daughter actually went to our church over in Fort Lauderdale. I got, I don't know if I drew, you know, a straw. I don't know how I, how it happened, but they said, hey, you got to go and do a funeral for this person. I said, okay, who is it? They said, well, her name's Rosa and her daughter has come to our church a couple of times and nobody really has a relationship with Christ. And, and the daughter said, well, you're the closest thing, you know, that this church here, Calvary Fort Lauderdale is the closest thing that we have to any of us going to church. And so do you have a pastor that can come and officiate the, my mom's, you know, funeral? And so that I got called on my very first one that was not my family member. And I went and I sat there and here open casket. I'm looking at her and this thing was packed out with about three to four hundred people. I, and she was really loved. But I'll tell you, you know, my mom and dad used to have a phrase and, and you've probably heard it, you know, before, but Man, these people had been ridden hard and put away wet. And what that means is that you ride a, you know, a motorcycle real hard and you put it away wet without cleaning it up and, and, and cleaning it and, and, and lubing it up and everything. And pretty soon that's going to wear down really quick. Right, Steve? That happens, right? And, and so here's the thing. These guys had a hard life. And they're just crying. I let them have an opportunity to share because I didn't know who this woman was. Hey, tell me a little bit about her. And so people popped up and some of the things that they said about her were, they thought were funny. But they were, they were disgusting. She was the matriarch of these people. And I'm going, oh, oh my. If she didn't change her ways. I'm standing before a soul that's burning right now in a place of torments. I knew that passage. I knew that if she had the ability to be and standing in my place, and that's how I said it. I, I, I didn't say, hey, your mom's in hell. Oops. You don't want to go there. <laughs> you want to die? That's how you do it. Here's the thing. I just said, listen, I've, I've, man, she was a loved woman. It's obvious. You guys love this woman so much. 
I said, I, I have been tasked with speaking on her behalf to all of you one last time. And I will tell you that if she were standing in my shoes right now, she would be far more forceful than I am going to be right now. But I will tell you this, heaven is real and Jesus is real. And you got to know him. And and I, I had an opportunity to to evangelize. I had an opportunity to, to give, you know, the, 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 the message of Christ and the saving grace of Christ. And I'm sure some of them out there were going, you don't even know who she was. She would never say anything like that. Well, no, not on the earth she wouldn't. But today, she's screaming it. And I, and, and I, I had, Almost a compassion for that rich man at that time going, would God, Abraham, would you please send somebody back and warn my brothers? Well, I was that person. Nobody came up to me and said that they had received the Lord that day. Who knows what God did that day? I don't know. But here's the thing. The, the point is here is that when you die, Apart from Christ, you go to a place called the place of torments in Hades. When it says that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Those who died, not yet receiving the promise, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about, right? They died not yet receiving the promise. The promise of what? The promise of the Messiah. He had not yet come on. Jesus had not yet come on the scene. So when they died, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And paradise, that's where paradise was. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and you had two prisoners, two thieves on either side of him. And in one book, they're both bashing him. Hey, listen, if you're the son of God, you know, come off the cross, save yourself and us. Somewhere along the line, one of those guys got saved because one of them said, hey, shut up over there. Again, my interpretation. Quit belly aching at God. We are here because it's a just sentence for us. We stole. We should be dying. But he didn't do anything wrong. He's innocent. And then he looked at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He got saved. You remember Jesus' words? You do. He says... Assuredly, I say to you, that's right, Ross. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. Where did Jesus go? Into the center of the earth. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, are you saying that you're going to tear down this temple? No, let me tell you this. I'm telling you that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. In the heart of the earth. I tend to just believe those things. When Jesus says, that's what it is, that's what it is. And when he descended into heaven, and it says, or into hell, into this, not hell, but into paradise, or Abraham's bosom, he led captivity captive. What did he do? He went and he preached to the souls that were there. In prison, yeah, it's a holding cell. Until the Messiah came and led them out of that place. Oh, they weren't being incarcerated there. They weren't, it was, it was fine. They had water, obviously. 
They weren't in torments because the rich man was over going, please send somebody over here. My soul is in torments, please. Give us something of what you have, Father Abraham. And Abraham says, listen, I can't. Can't do it. You made your choices. And so did Lazarus. And, And so there was a separate containment in the center of the earth. And Jesus says, I'm going. And he's going to descend into the heart of the earth. And when he went into the heart of the earth, you know what happened? He gets there. And I believe it was one of the most joyous days of any of their lives. As Jesus showed up, you all long for this day. You died without receiving me. But here you are. Gang, it's time to go home. Let's vacate this place. Let's get out of here. It said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. He ascended and they came with him out of that part of the earth. Now the place of torments is still just continuing to fill up. But there's a half of Hades that is just totally empty now. There's not there. What happened to paradise? It came up with him. What happened to Abraham's bosom? Came up with him. What happened to all the prison, all the people who died in faith apart from receiving the promise? They're not there anymore. He led captivity captive. He set them free. Verse 9, he says, Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Again, I tend to just believe these things. All right? The Bible says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. There are those that will say, Well, what that means is that he actually went into a tomb. That's the lower part of the earth. I'm going, Stop it. Stop trying to make the Bible say what you want it to say. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of a, uh, in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Paul says, listen, when he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's only six feet deep that he went. That's hogwash. That's, that's, misusing the Bible to get your point across. Stop it. Let the Bible speak what the Bible says. This is what it is. He went into the center of the earth. He led captivity captive. He let them out. And he who descended is also the one who ascended above, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And uh, the, Listen, the rest of this, can I just say, he, he says this, and this is what I'll end with. That just, verse 10 means that he, he, he was glorified when he ascended. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I know I'm glossing over this very quickly, but I'm going to make one point and then I'm going to end till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we, we, you and I, we as Christians today should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. Social media, all right? People all over social media, Claiming that they understand. They don't understand blip if it's not Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Alright? Don't listen to Him. 
It is a lie. It's a cunning craftiness to deceive you to become like the rich man. It's a cunning craftiness to deceive your mind into rejecting Christ. Because you know what? Nobody believes in Christ. Oh, do you also believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? They equate Christ with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny because they don't know Christ. They're puffed up in their knowledge. Or so they think. But they are going to be like the rich man. I'm sure that everyone catered to that rich man. Whatever he said, oh man, he's wise. Look how much money he has. It's sad that because someone has a lot of money that people will kowtow to everything that they say and they do. We used to have a guy in our church that was very, very wealthy. Now, I didn't agree with his walk with the Lord, but because he was very wealthy, there was a lot of people that really respected this guy. I'm thinking, man, because of his money? It's, it's a scary thing that money is the thing that causes people to respect someone and not a relationship with Christ. Many, much of his life was inconsistent with Christ. But because he had a lot of money, people were kowtowing to anything that he said and anything that he did. And they would believe what he would say. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. Be careful. We are constantly inundated with this, especially kids. Be careful. Your friends that you're, are your age that claim, oh, there's no Jesus, there's no Christ, there's none of this. Don't be a fool. They're being the fool. Don't listen to them. Do not be tricked because that's just the ploy of the enemy that he's been doing his whole, his whole life to try to trick you out. We aren't supposed to be there should come a point where we are no longer to be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but we, speaking the truth in love, that we would mature, we would grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. You and I... We do our share. That's what it is. That's what it's talking about. We all have a share in this. We all have a job to do. We all have a vocation. We've all been called. It's our job to live for Christ. It causes growth for the body and the edifying of itself in love. And so he says there's apostles. Uh, some people say, well, there's apostles today. I, I, I if if they mean apostles as in what the actual term means, one who is sent, I agree. Yeah, there's people that are sent. I, I think missionaries are apostles then in, in that term. But apostles in how is defined in Scripture where you actually had interaction with Christ, that you lived amongst Christ, and that you were actually handpicked by him. Well, I, we don't have those guys. And so the apostles today, I, I would call the B-apostles. Uh, okay, the A-apostles and the B-apostles, all right? And then there are also others that are prophets. And we get this idea, what is a prophet? Somebody who can foretell the future, right? Prophet's not always that way. A prophet is somebody who also, not just can foretell the future, but can actually, there, there's another aspect of prophecy that is articulating God's word. I believe that every single time a pastor begins to speak, a teacher begins to speak, and he's truly speaking the word of God. And you understand it. I know I sit in pews also 
When I see, hear a pastor speak, there's times where, I don't know, does it happen to you? I think it does. Where you're sitting there and going, holy cow. I think he's speaking right at me. I think he, he's been following me around. That's, that's prophecy. That's God speaking into your life through that guy. That's prophets. Okay? He gave some to be prophets, some evangelists. There are guys that are evangelists that, that just have the ability to open their mouth and people get saved. It's just crazy. It's awesome. But I don't have that gift. I have a gift of teaching, I think. I have a gift to be a pastor, but to be an evangelist, I've tried, doesn't work. Yeah, I, I, hey, the bustles will wait. Come forward. Your friends will wait. Come forward. <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> now, have people gotten saved? Yeah. But not like, yeah, there, there's an old story of, of, I think it was D.L. Moody, that when he got saved, Every little church he went to, he, before he was, before he was who he was, he'd go and he'd listen to the messages of the pastors that he was sitting under. He'd sit there and he'd take copious notes. He'd take it all down. And, and later on that day, he'd go out into the, into the parks and the byways and the highways and he'd start telling everybody. And, and he'd go back to these pastors and say, Pastor, hey, I took your message and I preached your message out on the street all this last week and 40 people came to know Jesus. Now, if you're a pastor, you go, really? 40 people came to know Christ? Nobody came to know Christ in this. The guy had an ability to be an evangelist. It is. Just is. It's awesome. But he gave some to be pastors and some to be teachers. Pastors are not always teachers and teachers are not always pastors. There's people that have the gift of teaching, but they're not a pastor. There's pastors that have the ability to shepherd and minister to the flock that just are not good teachers. They just don't know how to teach. The point is, is that a pastor and a teacher, they're here to equip. They're here to give you food. They're here, what my job is, what Kevin's job is, is for us to give you good meat, to give you good spiritual food, so that when you come in here and feast... You walk out nourished spiritually in verse 12 so that you would be equipped for the work of the ministry. That you would be equipped to edify the body of Christ. That you would go out and you would do this. It's not always the pastor's job to go and do all this. It's all of our job. And that's why I thought that this message was going to be a good message for today. It's our first message of 2019. I want to give you a shot in the arm. I'm not a guilt. I don't want to guilt you into... Listen, if I have to guilt you into serving the Lord, don't. Just don't. If if you feel like I'm beating you down, I, I am not beating you down. Trust me. I Please. I'm not beating you down. But I have a heart like Paul where he's saying, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Have a... Have a walk worthy of the vocation or the calling with which God has called you. And he's called every one of us to do and follow him. And to go out in this world and to minister. My job is to feed you. Kevin's job is to feed you. You might not like it. Some of the things that we say you might not like, like broccoli, but eat it, okay? Broccoli's good for you sometimes. 
right? Brussels sprouts. Eat them every once in a while, okay? You know, back when I grew up, my mom put food on the table. I don't like that food. Well, go without. That's what we're having for dinner. Listen, I don't mean that that is a hard and fast rule here, but hey, what Kevin and I are going to do, Pastor Kevin and I are going to do, is we're, we're going to give you everything we've got. It's one of the reasons I go long. I get one day a week with you guys, and I want to give you everything that I've got, and I don't want to leave one stone unturned. I want to give you everything that I am and everything that I've got, and if I could take everything that's in my mind, everything that's in my heart, and give it to you, I would do it. And, and I, I, a fault of mine is that I keep you guys long. But know that my heart is this. I just want you to get it. I want you to love Christ. I want you to have a personal relationship with Christ. I want you to know it. I want you to be smart in Christ. I want you to be well matured in Christ. I want you to know. I want you to know what a relationship with Christ means. I don't want you to be swayed by the world out there. You have the world for how many ever hours, you know, seven days times 24. Somebody do that math in my head, in your head. I don't know how many hours there are in a week. How many hours are in a week? Someone. 168. 168. <laughs> so we have you for two. You have 166 more hours out there where you're going to be influenced. We have two. And I want to give you everything that I to equip you, to feed you good spiritual food so that when you go out there, you can adequately be prepared for the other 166 hours so that you can go out and edify, so you can go out and become mature, so you can go out and do the work of the calling with which God has called you. Let's do that this year, amen? amen. You've got brothers and sisters that are not here that are going to be your best friends. This year coming up, they're going to be in this seat, in these seats next year. They're going to be here, and you're going to you're going to you're going to love them. It's not going to happen unless we go and we reach them. Let's do it this year, Amen. amen. Father, thank you so much for today, and Lord, I apologize for taking more time than than I should, but Lord, I lift up this night or this day to you, and I lift up our lives to you today, Lord, that we would take this not as a as anything other than what it was intended to be, a shot in the arm, an encouragement, and a a desire to see us follow you and mature in you and grow in you. And Lord, that we would personalize our walk with you, recognizing that we aren't to be looking at others to do the work, but Lord, you called us to a specific purpose, to a specific plan, to a specific point, to a specific person at times. Help us to be cognizant of those times and equip us to do what it is that you've called us to do. Help us to swallow any fear that we might have. Lord, let this year be a year where we take more chances and we become risk takers for you. Recognizing that when we even think of those terms, those are very worldly terms that we use because we can understand what they say. But really when it all comes down to it, it's just what you've called us to do. And we're going to learn as we do take those risks, as we do take those chances that we're going to see and we're going to understand and we're going to become very familiar with how your Holy Spirit moves in and around us and you are with us at all times, even in the difficult times.
recognizing that even, Lord, as we walk in this world and we begin to lay our lives down for you and we live for you and we speak on your behalf, Lord, we go out and we touch people in this world that we might be rejected, we might get pushed back, but Lord, even so much so that we might find ourselves in prison like Paul. But Lord, let us not shut our mouths. Let us live for you for the rest of our days and never that and I doing it. God, you are God. You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us and you rose again from the dead, Jesus, for us. We've accepted that gift. We acknowledge that that gift. We acknowledge our relationship with you and now, Lord, we want to go out in your family as your kids into this world and tell them how great you are. May we be the lights and the salt in this world. In this coming year, in this coming day, in this coming month, in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.